It's mysterious, very ancient, and nearly 900 million people embrace some form of it. Hinduism. What does the movie Avatar have to do with Hinduism? How do our Hindu friends view God, the universe, and what would they think if you brought up the name of Jesus Christ? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is an expert on world religions as well as a Christian scholar, author, and popular speaker. Recently, Pat spoke to an audience in Hawaii on the fascinating religion of Hinduism and offered analysis from a loving Christian standpoint. You'll hear part one of that presentation today. And please keep in mind that there are powerful resources on topics like this at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available on audio, past shows, interviews with leading experts, and Pat's books and articles. So be sure you stop by today online at evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat Zukerin with part one of sharing your faith with Hindus. We're talking about one of the oldest religions in the world, Hinduism two websites, which will be a great benefit for you, a great resource for you, evidenceandanswers.org. It's the radio show that I host, Evidence and Answers, and probe.org. Over a thousand articles there, including Hinduism, New Age, and topics like this. Dozens of PowerPoints that you can use in your presentations as well. Two great resources for you. Now, Hinduism is one of the oldest religions in the world, one of the most intriguing. Growth here in the West has been growing quite rapidly. Temples, Hindu temples are coming up all over the place across the mainland, even in the city of Dallas where I was. When I was there, I think there was just one or two Hindu temples. But by the time I left in 2010, there was over two dozen Hindu temples there in the city of Dallas. There are over 900 million Hindus in the world. A vast majority of them live in India. Uh, the country of Nepal, which is right north of India, in between China and India, that is the only country that has declared themselves to be a Hindu nation. Done some great pastors training there. The church in Nepal has been persecuted for many, many years. In fact, the gospel has only been in Nepal for about 40 years. And the churches there are suffering tremendous uh, persecution there. And I had the great privilege of going in there and leading one of the first ever pastors conferences in northwest Nepal and hope to go back this year and do one in southeastern Nepal, some pastors training there. Hindu practices such as transcendental meditation and yoga are very popular today, not only in Hawaii, but throughout the West. And there's the presence of Hindu theology, very popular in Hollywood. Hey, you look at the movies that have come out. It is prevalent with the pantheistic worldviews and a lot of Hindu theology in there. In fact, the number one movie of all time, right, Avatar, is filled with the worldview of pantheism and a lot of Hindu theology in there. I'll be showing you a couple clips from that movie tonight. So we can see that Hinduism and its influence continues to grow here in the West. As the West has rejected God and has rejected Christianity, they've embraced, after the Enlightenment, they embraced the worldview of naturalism or atheism, and we've been under its domination for about 200 years. But we have discovered that the worldview of atheism and all the promises of uh, science and education built on Dewey's atheistic worldview has left us bankrupt, has not delivered on the promises that the Enlightenment thinkers thought it would, and it has left us 
bankrupt in a dark and hopeless kind of universe. And so now where is the West turning for some kind of hope and answer? They're turning to the Eastern religions and embracing the ideas of Hinduism and Buddhism. So its influence is going to continue to grow as we continue on. Should the Lord tarry, uh, you'll see the influence of Hinduism and Buddhism and the New Age continue to grow here in the West, uh, not only in Europe, but in the United States as well. Now, Hindu, it's a Persian word that designated the people who lived beyond the Indus River. If you cross from Persia or Pakistan today, Across, you have to cross the Indus River into India. And it came to apply to the religion of the people in India. And it's really a family of religions. It's a religion that has evolved for about 4,000 years. We can trace it back, its earliest roots, to about 1800 B.C. But it's a religion that has developed over 4,000 years. In its earliest writings, it was very polytheistic worshiped numerous, numerous gods, and eventually it it evolved into pantheism, that behind all the gods, there is the one, the all-prevailing force, the one. The sacred writings of Hinduism, they're some of the oldest in the world. The Vedas, which we date about 1500 B.C. and maybe were completed about 500 B.C., And then some of the most important writings is the Upanishads. This is equivalent to, let's say, the Christian New Testament. Began about 800 B.C., completed somewhere around 300 B.C. In the Upanishads, it begins to expound the idea of Brahma, that behind all the numerous gods is the one, Brahma. Brahma is not a person. Brahma is an it made up of all things in the universe. So behind all things, Brahma is the universe, and the universe is Brahma. Everything in the universe makes up a part of Brahma. And then we have the Code of Manu, developed in about the 5th century B.C. It's a compilation of the laws governing the ideal Hindu society. So it includes the obligations of individuals to their families and society, and gives official sanction to the famous caste system in Hinduism, the caste or the system of classes there in Hindu society, which I'll explain as we go on. Here are the basic beliefs of Hinduism. First, there are three major worldviews that are the foundation of all religions and all philosophies out there. Okay? You understand the worldviews. These lie at the foundation of all religions and belief systems there that exist today. The first one is theism, God made all. There is a personal being, God, who created all things. Second is naturalism or atheism. Naturalism says the universe is all that ever was, is, and ever will be. Famous statement from Carl Sagan. No God at all. And the third one is called pantheism. This is the foundation of the Eastern religions. Pantheism, the Greek word pan means all, theism, God. In pantheism, as you see the hand inside the globe, God is the universe and the universe is God. God is one with the universe. God is the universe and the universe is God. Everything in the universe makes up a part of the one. And in pantheism, the one is not a person. 
is that it, the energy made up of all things in the universe, flows through all things in the universe. You are a part of God. I am a part of God. All things in the universe make up a part of God. Those three major worldviews that lie the foundation of all religions and philosophies out there. Now, the foundation of Hinduism is built upon the worldview of pantheism. God is the universe, and the universe is God. We find pantheism becoming one of the most popular worldviews embraced by Hollywood. And unfortunately, Hollywood often is a strong and powerful influence on our culture today. Many of you who were here for the apologetics conference heard Kirby Anderson when he talked about truth in media. It may be the most powerful influence on our culture today. We're going to take a look at the movie Avatar here. I'll show you a clip from there. And take a look and see if you can see the themes of pantheism in this movie clip. Now, in this clip, where we're going to pick up is here. Uh, the Navi, they're 10-foot blue people. Most of you see Avatar? How many of you saw Avatar? Hey, all right, everybody. Okay, number one blockbuster movie here. All right, now, Awa is the Mother Earth, or not the Mother Earth, that's Gaia, all right, is the All-Mother, okay? Awa is the All-Mother, okay? She's made up of all things, and her force, her life force is concentrated, especially strong, in this tree here, and as you can see, those vines, if you remember right, the vines hanging down from the trees, and when the Navi attach their what, ponytail to, to one of those vines, they become one with Awa, and eventually all things go back and become a part of Awa. That's pantheism, okay? Let's take a look at this clip here. Uh, she, uh, what's her name? Sigourney Weaver is dying, and they're trying to, they bring her back to Awa and connect her with Awa to try to breathe back life into her. If you were listening carefully, you could see that they were chanting to Awa to breathe back life into her. And in the end, you know, she dies and she becomes absorbed into Awa. And the dialogue that follows after, he says, hey, what happened to her? And uh, the um, witch doctor there says, well, her wounds were too great. She is now with Awa. She's become absorbed into Awa. All things make up Awa, okay? and all things flow out of Awa, and eventually all things go back into Awa. Hey, in pantheism, God is like the great ocean, and we are all drops in that ocean. And one day we all are absorbed back into the one, which is uh, what was displayed here. Let's take a look at the second clip, and uh, let's see the theme here. All right, we see there he is praying to Awa, the Mother Earth, and she comes along and says, you know, Awa doesn't take side. She only protects the balance of life, okay, the impersonal one. Uh, that's classic pantheism. And, you know, Avatar is... You know, if you look at the theme of the movie, it's uh, apologetic for pantheism, right? There's a strong environmentalist message there. And the whole theme is that if we embrace the pantheistic worldview, we can restore Eden back here. Anyway, I'm not of the uh, 
you know, mindset that, uh, uh, you know, Christians should not read non-Christian literature, Christians should not see non-Christian movies. I'm for, you know, let's go out there and engage the ideas of the culture. Watch a movie like this and sit down with your teenager and say, what was good? What was bad? What was true? What was false? What worldview was in there? What was true about it? What was false about it? How does it differ from the Christian message? It gives a strong environmentalist message here. Is there a Christian environmentalist message? You bet there is. It's a powerful Christian environmentalist message here in the Word of God. Unfortunately, we don't hear too much about it, but we hear all about it from the pantheist worldview. Uh, and so movies like this tell you where the culture is at, and we're not called to retreat from the culture, but to engage the ideas of the culture, defend truth, and show why the Christian position is the true position and the better position to hold. But there you can see, not only in Avatar, but in Star Wars, uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance, numerous, numerous other movies that I could name have embraced and promote a pantheistic worldview. God in Hinduism, because it's built on pantheism, the most dominant concept of God in Hinduism is the idea of Brahma. Now, in Hinduism, when you go to India and Nepal and, and the Hindu temples around the country, uh, Hindus worship, uh, in the religion of Hinduism, there are over 300 million gods that are worshipped. Okay? But behind all the gods is Brahma, the one. Okay? The impersonal, Brahma is unknowable, impersonal. You don't have a personal relationship with Brahma. Behind all the gods is the one. Brahma is the universe, and the universe is Brahma. All things make up Brahma. The energy that comes from Brahma flows through all things in the universe. That's the dominant idea of God or the divine in Hinduism. Brahma will manifest itself in a form of, of the three, you know, the Hindu triad. There are three of the most popular gods in Hinduism. Brahma, the creator god. Shiva, the destroyer god, and Vishnu, the preserver. So here is Brahma, the creator god, with many faces there. Okay, that is Brahma, the creator god. This is Vishnu, one of the most popular gods there. Vishnu is the preserver. Often you'll find, you'll see Vishnu dancing with many arms and sitting on a... Uh, a bed of cobras there, as you see, often with his female consort over there or his wife. And this is Shiva, the destroyer god, often wearing a necklace of a cobra and the trident spear, the destroyer god. These gods have wives and also give birth to sons who are also worshipped as gods. And then there are numerous other gods, gods of villages, gods over certain areas, even animals in the Hindu, is part of the Hindu pantheon of gods. Even many of the animals are worshipped as a god. So here is the Hindu triad here. Very different from our doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, Trinity says there's one god revealed in three distinct persons. Hinduism says there, there are three, here are the three top gods amongst all the gods. As I said, there's over 300 uh, million gods in Hinduism. And here in Nepal, I was walking around the most sacred temple, Hindu temple in Nepal. And 
I was looking at all of uh, the shrines, and they said, this one's the most holy one here at this site. And so I went over, and they stopped me at the gate, but I, so I couldn't go in. They said, Hindus only can go in. Uh, so I wasn't allowed to, so I took a photo from the door there. Do you see what that is right there? What's it look like? A golden calf, huh? Yeah, it's exactly, that's what it is. It's a golden calf there. Uh, it's one of the uh, sacred animals in India. It's worshipped as a god. You know, uh, taxonomists and others have studied India, and, and you know there's a starvation problem in India. And they have stated, many studies have been done, if the Indians would eat their cows, they could wipe out starvation not only in India but much of the continent of Africa as well. All right. Also, as I was walking around, there's the monkey temple and, and uh, all these other temples where they worship the animals uh, as God. Creation. Creation, this world is actually an illusion. It's part of the dream of Brahma. Okay. Why do they say it's an illusion? Because things change. Right? Things that change, therefore, are not real. What is real is what stays permanent. The nature of man. Atman is Brahman, is a famous saying you hear throughout Hindu literature. In other words, man is in his essence Brahma. Man is in essence divine. Here's the saying you see in the Upanishads. I am he, thou art that. All this is the Brahman. This self is Brahman. In other words, our very essence, we are Brahma. We are one with the divine. Next, we have karma, the law of karma, the debt of one's actions. Throughout life, you pile on good karma or bad karma, and that will determine your next reincarnation. If you pile up a lot of bad karma, you're going to come back in a lower form of existence, maybe as uh, someone with some kind of disease or a lame person or some low insect or animal. If you have a lot of good karma, hopefully in your next reincarnation, you can come back in a higher caste or as a higher form of being. Samsara is the law of reincarnation. And you will go through many, perhaps millions of reincarnations until you finally break that cycle of reincarnation and become absorbed into Brahma, become absorbed into the One. In Eastern religions, reincarnation is not good. You don't want to come back here and go through all this pain and suffering again. Right? You want to be released from this physical existence and be absorbed into the One. That's why in many Eastern traditions, they cremate the body. Right? You want to get rid of this. You want to shed this prison okay, so that your essence can make its journey, and become absorbed into Brahma, into the One. Now, essential in Hinduism are the five major castes, or the classes, according to the Code of Manu. Okay, there's five major class, classes, the Brahmins, the priests, okay, the warriors, the merchants and landowners, the servants, and then we have the bottom class, the untouchables. All right, so... You see that triangle there? The majority are the untouchables, right? That's the bottom. Now, you're born into a caste. 
and you must live out your life in that cast. And hopefully in the next reincarnation, you can continue to move up. Okay? But if you're born into a cast, that's where you stay. You cannot move up. And so it's a very uh, fatalistic system that holds people in bondage. Okay? And the untouchables make up the majority of the people. They are at the bottom. There's a picture of some of the untouchables there who live in the poorest parts of the city. And if you embrace Hinduism, there's no hope to ever get out of that situation. And it's a very, it's a system that holds people in bondage. It's a very, very sad thing. So don't commit, you know, the faux pas when you go to India and say something like, oh, he's untouchable. You know, like we say to Kobe Bryant, oh, guy's untouchable. Man, you know, for us that has a good connotation, very bad connotation there. The reason they're untouchable, because if you touch them, then you become defiled. Okay? Because they are the lowest rung of society. The untouchables. Salvation in Hinduism, moksha. It's liberation from this cycle of reincarnation and become absorbed into the one. As a drop of water must find its way to the ocean and become absorbed into the ocean, so every person... And you must go through endless cycles of reincarnation. You, you could go through millions of cycles of reincarnation until you, become, you finally break that cycle and become one with the divine. Now, how do you break that cycle? Well, there's three ways. The first one is karma yoga. It's the pursuing of good works without any thought of personal reward. One must live in complete obedience to all the rituals and all the obligations written in the code of Manu. One must fulfill one's family duties, social duties, thereby overcoming the weight of bad karma that one has accrued. Okay? Most important are performing the rituals okay, that we perform throughout one's life. Okay, here's one in Nepal where I was at. Went to one of the most holiest temples there in Nepal, millions of Hindus come through here every year. And what I was watching there was a cremation service. This is where the top castes, okay, the Brahmins and the rulers, can cremate their loved ones who have died. Okay, only the top castes can go to this temple and cremate. And so there are about 20 platforms there along this river, platforms upon which you put your loved one, and the men have to burn the corpse of their loved one there. So there you see the temple where the worship occurs. And then there are the sons carrying their father on that stretcher there. And they bring him to the platform there at the bottom. And then they unveil his face and put a torch on his mouth. And he set it on fire. And that's how the fire begins. And there on that pile of wood, the men have to stay there and man the fire as they burn the corpse of their loved one. And then when they are done, the ashes and all the valuables are tossed into that sacred river there. And that's the duty of the loved ones that they do. Now, at this temple, uh, just a few centuries ago, when a man died, his, if his wife was surviving, she had to throw herself on the fire and therefore go with her husband. Now, the great uh, missionary William Carey, who went to India... Uh, almost 200 years ago. He's the one who ended that practice, but it was still practiced here. It wasn't stopped till not too long ago. Practice of widow burning. 
There is the fire as it starts, and then at the bottom there are the ashes, and you see one of the sons coming over there, sweeping the ashes into the river. You know, a lot of Westerners go to Nepal not only to go hiking up in the Himalayas, but for spiritual enlightenment. They seek enlightenment in these Eastern religions. This is one of the temples that they go to visit that they're fascinated by. And one of the reactions that I saw, you can sit across on the other side of the river and watch this cremation occur. And it's going on 24 hours a day, about 20 platforms. And usually half of them, you've got some kind of fire going. There were Westerners from Europe and the United States sitting across on the other side of the river watching this thing absolutely horrified. I saw them hear them weeping and crying and eventually they, they had to go. They had to leave. They could not stand it. Seeking spiritual enlightenment, yet when they saw the real face of this religion, and if you really want to see its real face, go there to Nepal and India and you can see where this theology eventually leads. Well, there is so much more Paz Zukerman has on Hinduism, but we have run out of time today, so we'll pick it up there next time as Dr. Zukerman discusses the Hindu worldview. You know, all of us have a worldview, and it's just what it says, a way one views the world. And whether we realize it or not, we all interpret life and meaning through the lens of our worldview. That means we need to be sure our worldview is accurate. And that's one of the main benefits of the resources we have for you at evidenceandanswers.org. An analysis of everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism to help you as you think about your worldview. So download some past radio shows at evidenceandanswers.org. And when you do, you'll help us financially as we seek to stay on this station with good information. And as always, your donations are a tremendous blessing to us. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. Please do so today. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.